You're listening to Midi Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week we're reading the latest chapter of The Bride of the Tomb by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Chapter 10 Lily lay perfectly still, but quite sleepless for more than two hours. During that time she heard several groans from below, accompanied by the ominous clank of the chain. At length, as the cries grew louder and more frequent, she determined at all hazards to seek the poor suffering creature. She rose and removed the carpet, slid back the trap door, and gazed down into the gloomy pit below. All was blackness and darkness, but the harsh wailing sounds arose more distinctly than before. She took up the lamp in her hand, and with an irrepressible shudder began to descend the winding stair. Presently she stood at the foot of the stairs in a narrow passageway. At the further end was a door. Trembling so that she could scarcely hold the lamp, Lily advanced and tried the handle. It yielded to her touch and swung open. She found herself in an empty, dismal room, its walls festooned with cobwebs, its cold flooring formed of solid stone. As she looked about by the dim light of the lamp, she saw another door, and resolutely advancing, she caught the knob and swung it open. Another instant, and she had stepped across the threshold and stood in the presence of the mystery. It was an empty, cobwebbed room like the first, its only furniture consisting of a narrow cot bed. Close beside it, an iron staple was driven into the stone floor. A long and heavy iron chain was fastened to the staple. At its opposite end, it was linked to a strong leathern belt wound about the frame of a poor creature lying at full length on the bed and wasted to a living skeleton. In all her speculations regarding the mysterious prisoner, Lily had not imagined aught as dreadful as the reality. There lay the poor frame upon the bed, its tattered dress scarce covering its bony knees, its claw-like hands twisted wildly together. The limbs presented the appearance of bones with parchment-like skin drawn tightly over them. Masses of long black hair, tangled and unkempt, strayed over the coarse pillow, and fierce dark eyes, sunken and dim, peered from their hollow orbits in a face shriveled simply to skin and bone, the cheeks fallen in, the temples hollow, the purple lips drawn away from the glistening white teeth. This dreadful creature stopped its frenzied cries at Lily's entrance, and crouching into a frightened heap, wailed out submissively, I will hush, I will hush, do not beat me again. Poor creature, I will not harm you, answered Lily gently. She stood in the center of the room, holding the lamp in her shaking hand, its light streaming over her lovely face and golden hair. The poor creature turned suddenly at the sound of her compassionate voice, and looked at her with an expression of awe in her great hollow eyes. "'Are you an angel?' she asked abruptly. "'No, poor soul. I am a wronged and unhappy prisoner like yourself.' "'Another one of his victims?' queried the living skeleton, sitting up on the cot and folding her emaciated arms around her skinny knees. Lily came forward and seated herself on the foot of the bed and set her lamp on the floor. Of whom are you speaking? asked she. Of Harold Colville, to be sure, said the poor woman, shuddering as the name writhed over her blanched lips. Has he married you too, eh? God forbid, ejaculated her visitor with a strong shiver of disgust. I am a poor girl whom he is trying to force into a marriage with him. He has stolen me away from my friends and is keeping me locked up here until I consent to be his wife, but I will never, never do so, she cried passionately. 
You do not love him, said the poor frame beside her. No, I hate him. But who are you? asked Lily, her interest deepening in the poor creature whose mind it was evident still burned clearly in her wrecked frame. I am Fanny Colville, was the answer in a low and bitter tone. I am Harold Colville's lawful wife. I was married to him four years ago. Is it possible? cried Lily with a violent start. Then why are you here? My husband wearied of me, said poor Fanny, her dark eyes burning like coals. He stole me away from my friends, too, lady, but I went willingly because I loved him. Yes, I loved him then. He married me, and I hid away the certificate the good minister gave me. We traveled for a year or so and lived very happily. Then he wearied of me and brought me here. He told me our marriage ceremony was a farce, that we had not been lawfully married. He demanded the certificate the minister had given me. But I was not a fool. I knew he lied to me, and I would not give up the paper for the sake of the little child that was soon coming to me. I kept it hidden away, and he raved and swore at me, then went away and left me. He hired the leverets to kill me, and the child also when my hour should arrive. The day came. My child was born, a healthy, living boy. They took it away from me and said that it died. I knew they had killed it, but they were not merciful enough to kill me. They drove me mad with their cruelty. I became a raving, dangerous maniac for a while, and they chained me down here like a dog. Here I have remained nearly two years, fed on a scanty supply of bread and water. You see what they give for a week's subsistence, said she, pointing to a half-eaten loaf of bread and a jug of water, both upon the floor. Lily looked and shuddered. Does your husband ever come to see you? she inquired. No, no. He thinks me dead. He paid old Peter Leverett to murder me, but they are slowly starving me to death instead of thrusting a knife into my heart, and I am so strong it takes me a long while to die. She paused a moment, catching her breath painfully, then continued. Dreadful deeds have been committed here. Murder's red right hand has been lifted often. Look down into that pit, lady. She pointed to a trap door near the iron staple. Lily pushed it aside and looked down, but saw only thick darkness, while a noisome smell rushed out of the pit. She closed it hurriedly. I see nothing, she said, but darkness. Because it is night, said Fanny Colville. You should come when it is daylight, lady. You would see horrible grinning skeletons then. I look at them sometimes. They are the only companions I have. Poor Fanny, I wish you could escape out of this horrible place. Would you like to do so? Oh, so much, said the living skeleton, clasping her bony hands. I have dear friends far away from here whom I love so much. They know nothing of my whereabouts. How gladly they would welcome me back. My case is the same, said Lily mournfully. I have tried to escape, but was near losing my life through falling into the clutches of the bloodhound they keep here. But I am going to try again, Fanny, and I will try to help you out of your prison also. I will come and see you again, said she, taking up her lamp and turning to go. Do not go yet, sweet lady, cried the prisoner imploringly. I love to look at you and hear you speak. I have not heard a kind word for more than two years until you came in like an angel tonight. I must go now, replied Lily gently. I am afraid old Haiti will miss me and trace me here. Keep up a brave heart. I will come again tomorrow night if nothing happens. Good night now, Fanny. Good night, miss, said the unfortunate creature, seizing Lily's hand and kissing it. 
I am happier for your coming, and I shall expect you again tomorrow night. The young girl took up her lamp and went away, leaving the poor creature alone in her dreadful solitude once more. But hope, like a brightly beaming star, had penetrated that gloomy dungeon and beamed into Fanny Colville's lacerated heart. She lay awake all night, thinking feverishly of the beautiful girl who had visited her, and building bright air castles on the slight hint of escape she had thrown out. And Lily, too, tossed on a feverish bed which gentle slumber refused to visit with its benign influence. Fear, horror, and indignation filled her heart against Harold Colville and the Leverets, mixed with deep sorrow and pity for the injured Fanny. She understood now the depth of villainy of which her would-be suitor was capable, and the wickedness of Haiti and Peter appeared more dreadful than before. No wonder Haiti found her tossing on a bed of pain the next morning, racked by a nervous headache. Colville called to see her, but went away when he heard she was ill, and sent Dr. Pratt instead, who prescribed a sedative and left her sleeping heavily and profoundly. That concludes this week's installment of The Bride of the Tomb. This production of The Bride of the Tomb features the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damien Katz. Chris Hallberg voices the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. Midi Storytime in the Spare Chambers Library produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.